Global Voices on Taiwan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Global Voices on Taiwan. I'm Rath Wang, a news producer and host. Sitting in for Vincent today is Yiting. Hello, everyone. I'm Yiting Lian from the Lie Campaign and also a graduate student at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. We'll be exploring how the latest world events from near and afar impact Taiwan and how this island nation shakes the globe. We hope this podcast can be your window to Taiwan's global perspectives. With us from the U.S. is Alex Capri. Alex is an agenda contributor and host of panels at the World Economic Forum and lectures at the National University of Singapore. He has decades-long expertise in global supply chains and is a frequent speaker on international media in the U.S., Europe, and throughout Asia. Alex is just one of the many global experts, journalists, and policymakers we have on our podcast. So jumping right into our first question, why does Taiwan matter to the global supply chain? Apart from being the home of TSMC, the world's largest semiconductor manufacturer, the country is also known for its bicycles and personal computers. Taiwan is accountable for about 90% of the fabrication of the world's most advanced semiconductors, and as well as about 60% of all of the world's chips. Taiwan is, is an important part of, of the global economy, of course, and global supply chains, because uh, Taiwanese companies have become integral, particularly in the electronic sector. Of course, we know about semiconductors, TSMC, the fabricator of the world's most advanced chips, and big contract manufacturers that work with companies like Apple, for example. As we look at Taiwan in the context of today's geopolitical landscape, and this process of re-globalization, as I'm describing it, as the U.S.-China rivalry continues to redefine global supply chains, Taiwan is integral for the restructuring and the re-engineering of those supply chains. First, because Taiwanese companies such as TSMC are highly sought after as investors and participants in regionalized and localized supply chains. And that's only going to increase for Taiwanese companies. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is the security ties between Taiwan and the United States and the fact that leading edge technologies, whether we're talking about lower earth orbit satellites and, and, and space-based technology, of course, semiconductors and other technological manufacturing capabilities, because of the tight security ties now, the relationship between security and technology Taiwan is front and center as a strategic partner, whether we're talking about the CHIP4 alliance, which is a, in the alliance of semiconductor countries, whether we're talking about secure supply chains between India and Taiwan, as India comes online as more and more of a player. Taiwan and Taiwanese companies are very important to all of these developments. And just maybe to follow up on that, so I'm actually pursuing a graduate degree at Harvard, and I'm seeing that there's much talk in the U.S. about um, creating this new supply chains in which China isn't part of. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the difference between U.S.-led decoupling and the newer de-risking efforts. So when we talk about decoupling, decoupling is much more of an emphatic breaking off, if you will. It's, it's a 
it's the equivalent of a clean break or a final, a, a sort of a divorce, right? But a clean divorce. And that really would pertain to the most strategic mat uh, materials, rare earths and, and critical minerals, for example. We're seeing uh, what is amounting to uh, a decoupling when it comes to advanced semiconductors. But now we have to also consider things like telecommunications. I mentioned space technologies, biotechnologies, and of course, AI, leading edge artificial intelligence. We're seeing that play out, for example, as the U.S. is looking to cut off the supply of AI chips to China. Now, to put this in the context of decoupling, that would be an example of decoupling, continued efforts, continued attempts by a government to continually choke off the transfer of certain kinds of technology to a rival or perceived adversary. De-risking, on the other hand, is a term that's always applied to supply chains and always is put into practice. And it simply means that you're looking to mitigate any potential risks, slowdowns, stoppages, bottlenecks, um, looking to increasingly these days reduce carbon footprints to ensure that the supply chains are sustainable. But what we're seeing now is actually both um, from the U.S. Like, how would you describe the U.S.'s and, say, you know, European partners and Japanese partners and reaction in terms of de-risking or decoupling? Or do you feel both are happening at the same time? There's debate about to what extent um, decoupling should occur between the world's two largest economies, China and the United States, and, of course, you mentioned Europe and other major trading countries like Japan, for example. And the question is, is it possible to decouple in strategic areas, in, in hyper-strategic areas? And I've mentioned them all, right? Semiconductors, space, biotech, AI, quantum, critical minerals, et cetera. Is it possible to decouple strategically, but then continue to invest and continue to uh, enjoy trade linkages in other areas that aren't as sensitive or strategic. And that's really the million dollar question. One of the headwinds uh, going against strategic decoupling and then ongoing trade that is de-risked is that there are dual use technologies that come to play in much of the trade that is considered to be less strategic. So for Taiwanese companies, of course, that involves all of the consumer electronics, things like laptops and, and so forth. Um, so a dual-use technology is a commercial technology that could potentially be used for military purposes. And therefore, if you sell that dual-use technology to a restricted entity, that transaction could be blocked because it might at some point require an export license, which may not be granted. And so that's really the, the challenge with the, the, the strategic decoupling and the de-risking parallel tracks. The de-risking track is tenuous. It is uh, subject to overnight changes, uh, particularly around the dual use issues. And also around, uh, for example, outbound investment flows and controls, upon those controls. The Biden administration issued an executive order to go along with a Senate bill and a congressional bill around export controls on investments into strategic sectors. So I think as we compare, once again, strategic decoupling and, and de-risking, 
the de-risking side will become increasingly, I think, increasingly risky and increasingly uncertain. And uh, so I think it's going to be a very difficult, um, you know, two, three, four, five years. Uh, and in that period of time, I think we could conceivably see much more decoupling and less de-risking. Turning the focus back to Taiwan for a bit, but maybe putting this into a global perspective. Given that you shuttle between the U.S., Singapore, and various parts of Asia and Europe, um, what's your observation on how regional democratic and Western economies see Taiwan's、um, industry? So I think Taiwan is increasingly being seen as a very important strategic partner. As a, shall we use the word、um, trust shoring, which is another word for friend shoring. I think Taiwan is increasingly being seen by Western democratic governments as、uh, a very important strategic partner, and Taiwanese companies in particular are going to be increasingly sought after. I think on a number of levels. I think first you have the strategic security types of relationships that are linked to strategic technology, though you cannot separate those two. Of course, we've talked about semiconductors. I think the other area that I've been doing a lot of research on lately and writing about is the linkages between the U.S., Taiwan, Europe, and other places for talent, talent pipelines. How Taiwanese companies that are really, really lacking—they're, they're, you know, clearly not getting enough talent to meet their growth needs,、uh, to meet their innovation needs.、Uh, Taiwanese. Companies are forming、uh, more and more strategic partnerships, Taiwanese universities as well, with strategic partners around strategic technology talent development.、Um, so I, I think that's that's an area that we're going to see more and more of in the future, as well as corporate to corporate, business to business, and government to government.、Um, so I, I do think we will see more public-private partnerships involving North American, European. And other strategic partners,、um, of course, Japanese with Taiwanese companies. It's interesting how you mentioned Taiwanese companies actually have an increased role as Taiwan takes a major role in the decoupling efforts in the U.S. We also see de-risking going forward. But、um, going to the elephant in the room, Alex,、um, despite global democracies de-risking, of course, this is led by the U.S. How can Taiwan and the world balance its trade with China as we see trade continue to increase, and making sure that key technologies, as you mentioned, are secure and safe? I think that we're witnessing these parallel tracks. All right, we're witnessing this breaking off or this decoupling of the strategic areas, strategic industries, and it's a real delicate balancing act to try and get. The other in China for China strategy, right? Whether it's for Taiwanese companies, Japanese, European, American, I think if I were to tell you that everything's going to be fine,、uh, that we're going to have this very clearly delineated, decoupled section of the global economy, then we're going to have this this really nice, robust zone of where countries and companies have de-risked, but they've continued with lots of trade flows.、Um, that's having your cake and eating it too. So you're saying all in all. The world has to choose sides, like Taiwan aligning with other democracies. There are some very strategic areas where you will have to choose, and there will be decoupling. But there's this other big playing field where you can continue to still play in that sandbox. But again, 
it's very hard to predict what the future holds, right? Who would have predicted that Russia would have invaded Ukraine, right, three years ago, and the ramifications of that? Let's maybe talk a little, little bit about policy. We've seen President Biden sign into law the U.S.-Taiwan 21st Century Trade Initiative, a trade deal between the two countries. This is seen here in Taiwan as historical. How do you see it in terms of bilateral trade, and is it also part of a greater American effort in integrating key like-minded countries in vital supply chains? Absolutely, and you know this shift away from big multilateral trade agreements to bilateral. Minilateral agreements between strategically like-minded partners is something that we're going to continue to see more of when it comes to trade agreements. Interestingly, the U.S. is is really looking to build partnerships around things like technology transfer, resilient supply chains. Increasingly, you're hearing about sustainable green tech and the like. But it has been less open to. Opening up its market as it would in a traditional free trade agreement, right? So you have a very interesting dynamic emerging here, where、um, we are witnessing sort of the rise of geoeconomics as opposed to traditional liberal economics and the the playing out of comparative advantage, right? Just trading for the sake of having the most open, efficient. Profitable trade partnerships. Now, geopolitics is becoming more and more important, and that's what you're seeing in these types of deals, if you will, that the U.S. is is chalking up now with Taiwan and others. More on a lighter topic, Alex. Um, you grew up here, and you spent a few years, you know, during your secondary school years in Taipei. And I understand you're still a frequent visitor. How have you seen Taiwan's economy transform, and、um, what keeps you coming back? So, um, yeah. Um, Taiwan is a vibrant、uh, is is a vibrant economy because Taiwan has remained incredibly connected to the rest of the world, and because of that, whether it's in terms of its rich and deep human capital, or whether it's in terms of its really really、um, dynamic companies, Taiwan has figured out how to really ride the wave of globalization. So Taiwan has has remained. Vibrant. Of course, Taiwan is a democracy, right? So Taiwan has been、uh, a place where ideas can percolate, where debates can can happen, and you know where ideas can be tested.、Uh, and when something doesn't work, it gets shot down, whether it's、uh, in the public sector or whether it's in the private sector, right? I think all of those things have really contributed to the success of Taiwan. I mean, the other is, of course. It, you know, its strategic partnership with the United States, for sure, has played a big role. And again, you know, the the connectivity between Taiwan and the world's largest economy is 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 impressive. Of course, you all know the story of Morris Chang, and you know how he was working in the United States in various companies, and he came back to Taiwan, and of course, he was behind the rise. One of the main reasons behind the rise of TSMC,、um, but there are many many other stories like that. That showcase this, 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 these wonderful connections that Taiwan has has maintained with the rest of the world when it comes to leading edge science and technology and knowledge. 
So any tips do you think that Taiwan needs to do in order to continue its resilience? And I think Taiwan, like any other country, has to always look for a multitude of solutions, it needs to be creative, it means continue to be creative. It needs to exercise diplomacy, obviously, when it can. Uh, and it needs to exercise prudence as well, right, when it comes to security matters. So I think Taiwan has been doing that and has done very well in the process. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alex, and to end this fascinating conversation with such a positive note, positive and helpful note. Um, and thank you all for joining us on Global Voice on Taiwan to ensure you don't miss out on exciting insights from this island nation's captivating stories. Make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast and social media platform. Also check out our full video on YouTube. Thank you and stay safe. See you next time.